0: Um, I want to encourage you this morning, we're going to be uh, turning to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Um, and we're, we're going to cover kind of a big um, chunk of Matthew, because next week we are going to start looking um, at what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's actually the first of Jesus' five um, big discourses or messages in Matthew. The book of Matthew. Um, but there's a lot of setup. We, we are 11 weeks into Matthew and we are in the middle of chapter 4. Um, and so we're we are working our way through this book. Uh, there's a lot that's going on. Last week we talked about the temptation of Jesus. This week we're going to talk about um, the beginning of his earthly ministry, how it's described. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite places on earth, um, Galilee. And so, uh, so we're going to have a word of prayer, and we're going to dive right into uh, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, once again, we come to your word. And it's not only your words, but it's words about you. Uh, help us to see, in all glorious dimension, um, your world and Um, what was going on and how you connected with your disciples and the crowd and um, how you were at work uh, to build your church. May we be uh, encouraged where we need to be encouraged, chastened where we need to be chastened. Um, uh, May we always first and foremost hear from you. May your spirit be at work here, the spirit of God among the people of God to bring glory to God. We pray this all. In your precious and holy name, amen. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12. Um, So much of Matthew up until this point has been Jesus proving he is who he says he is. He is the son of God. He is the son of David. He is the Messiah. And having that verified. But now we have a transition here in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John had been arrested. So John the Baptist, the one who baptizes him in chapter 3. Had been with arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that so that was that what was so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is a quote of Isaiah nine one and two, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, or Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling. In darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is hand, at hand." Now we're going to finish the chapter, but I have a couple of things I want to put up on the screen so that you can get some historical context of what we're dealing with. The first is a map. Um, I'm not sure how well you can see this. We're going to post it on the website. Um, if you have never discovered the joy and happiness of Google Earth, you need to play with Google Earth. Um, Google Earth is just one of the coolest websites in the world. It's free. Um, you can Google it, um, but it's a Google service, so just if you type Google Earth, you'll get it. You, you, and, um, Google Earth gives us real-time satellite inf- photos of, of the world, anywhere in the world, um, except area 51 because we know what the government's doing there. Um, but uh, this, is, this is just a, a quick uh, kind of portrait of Galilee. On, you can see the Sea of Galilee, which what the Hebrews called Kinneret, um, is in the middle, that blue uh, blue spot. To the left is actually what's considered Galilee um, to, my le- to, to this side. I don't know if that's your left, that's your left, right. Yeah. Um, so that's called the Galilee. Galilee means the mountains or the hills. Um, and it's a very hilly region north of the Jezreel Valley, which you can't see. Um, but the, um, in Galilee, down on the bottom is Nazareth. The little yellow dot at the bottom is Nazareth. Nazareth sits on a actually a cliffside looking out over this beautiful valley, the Jezreel Valley. Um, just north of Nazareth is the Greek city of Sepphoris, or the Roman city of Sepphoris, which is probably where uh, Joseph was employed as an artisan working. Um, that's probably where he worked. It's about, it's about three or four miles between the two of those. Um, and then uh, to the Sea of Galilee, there's a yellow dot to the left. That's Tiberius. That's a Roman city named after Emperor uh, Tiberius. Real deep, profound name. Um, at the top is Capernaum. Um, the top of the sea. And then on the right side is the Gadarene Cliffs. That's where in Matthew, Jesus casts a bunch of uh, demons into pigs and the pigs run over the cliffs. You can actually go visit those cliffs. Um, You can't go down the cliffs because they have active mines on them. Um, And I don't mean digging for gold. I mean the mines that blow people up. Um, So there's big signs that do not go down the cliffs, mines, you know, which... If you're dwarves, that would be confusing, like, from Lord of the Rings. But um, anyway, uh, so Capernaum, some of you are like, what? All right, Lord of the Rings, the dwarves mine for things. That's what they do. Anyway, um, Capernaum, and then way up on the top is Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi, um, which Jesus, Jesus spends quite a bit of time up there. That is probably, um, it's in what today is called the Golan Heights. It's probably one of the most gorgeous places I've, I've ever seen. Galilee is beautiful. Um, That that area, the Benaeus Falls and stuff, is just an absolutely gorgeous, um, beautiful, green, vibrant place. You would not think of that when you think of Israel, but it is. Um, The Sea of Galilee, um, or Kinneret, is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Um, It actually, the surface averages uh, 700 feet below sea level. Um, And so it's a Roughly the size of Lake Winnipesaukee. Lake Winnipesaukee is 71 square miles. Um, the Sea of Galilee is 64. Um, and what happens is all of those mountains, they, all the water from all of those mountains drains down into this um, hole. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, and they form the sea. Uh, because of where it is and how it works, the Sea of Galilee actually is a stopping point for almost all the the bird migration paths from Africa to Europe and back. So you can see almost every kind of bird, except like penguins, obviously, because they don't fly. If they could, they would go to Galilee. Um, uh, they, they fly, you know, always cargo. Anyway, uh, so... You can see all kinds of birds and some of extraordinary things. And because of the way the topography is, and this will come up later, but because of the way the mountains are, the Sea of Galilee during the day is a dead calm, almost always. It's almost always just a dead calm. Um, You very rarely will see waves on the Sea of Galilee. Um, However, at night, because of the way that the, the topography is, at night... Um, these dry winds blow in, and my wife will tell you, I'm not exaggerating, you think the house or place that you're in is going to get blown over. It is so loud, and it is is just these loud rushing winds, and they whip the water up into this fervent, nasty mess. So you never want to be out on the Sea of Galilee at night. And of course, when does Jesus always want to go out on the Sea of Galilee? At night, right? And and the fishermen know better than that. Anyway, so this is a breakdown. Uh, the distance from Capernaum, are, uh, and and this is this is a moment. I'm I'm going to continue to pronounce it Capernaum. The the actual pronunciation of the word is Kephar Naham. Um, it means the village of comfort, all right? Um, but we all pronounce it Capernaum. Um, that that village right there is about as north as you can get and still be in Jewish territory in the Roman period. That that When you go to, to Caesarea Philippi, which is about, um, you know, you can see it's about 25 miles north. Caesarea Philippi is technically in the province of Syria. It's not, it's not in the Jewish-held territories. And to the west is what's called the Decapolis. Um, and this region, the reason it's called Galilee of the Gentiles, is because... Uh, around around 750 BC, the Assyrians conquered it and the Jews never ruled it again. Um, they ruled it they, So at Jesus' day it's being ruled by one of the sons of Herod the Great, and his title is Tetrarch, which means one-fourth of a king. What a wonderfully insulting title. Right? It's like well was like, well I wanna be a king. Well we'll make you one fourth of a king. It's like I mean I torture Jenna all the time. She is my fourth favorite hathcoat. Um, you know, and it's it's primarily because she doesn't like the Animaniacs. I don't understand that. Um but then she became a swifty and it just went downhill from there. Um, anyway, uh but but the uh we the, this is kind of a weird you know, Flex, it's like, here, you're going to be one-fourth of a king. It's like, oh, thanks. So what do I get? Well, one-fourth of the power of a king. What does that mean? I don't know. Um, so, so that's Galilee. Uh, Capernaum is about, to give you perspective, Capernaum is about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. Um, so if you're walking, the journey to Jerusalem is going to take you uh, about 10 days to get there. Um, and so so that's how far north it is, Um, and uh, that's that region, and I'll post this on the website so you can have it if you really, really want it. I know some of you are like, yes, absolutely. I am going to forget about that as soon as I walk out the door, but... Um, that's that. Um, but when we visited Capernaum, I just want to show you a couple of pictures of what Capernaum looks like now. Uh, you may or may not be able to see this because of the lights. Um, this is the layout of the village of Capernaum. Um, this is the first century village. It's built of volcanic basalt. So it's all black stone um, that they built their houses out of. Uh, probably Capernaum was probably maybe 500, 750, maybe a thousand people. It's not a very big, not a very big area now. And um, to the left there, you can see the white. We're going to talk about that. That is that that white thing is the synagogue of Capernaum. It's the fourth century synagogue. And to the right, you see a thing that kind of looks like the back end of a spaceship. Uh, that is the Church of the House of Saint Peter, and for some reason, it is built to look like a spaceship. I don't know why, but it is. Uh, another the next one. Um, this is actually we're reasonably comfortable confident. So this is actually Simon Peter's house. Um, Now, and the reason that we're confident about it, you go, that sounds really weird. Like, how can you be sure of that? Well, first of all, Capernaum's not a very big place. And secondly, um, they have been found Christian artifacts inside this house dating from the early 2nd century AD, which that's what you would do if that was the house of Simon Peter. People would have been using it as a church. Right, So, I mean, he gathers... Jesus is teaching in Simon Peter's house all the time. Um, And so it's reasonably certain. And above it, you see the kind of really geometric stripes right above the top? That's the spaceship church. Um, And it's built over top of this um, building. And it has a glass floor. So you can look down at it. It's very odd. Uh, Next picture. Um, This right here is the wall of the synagogue. The top wall is the 4th century synagogue. Then beneath it, you can see the black basalt line. That is the synagogue where Jesus would have taught. That is the wall of the 1st century Jewish synagogue in Capernaum. Um, so you, you start to see why Galilee is one of my favorite places in the world. Um, it's one of the few places in the world that you can very, very confidently say this is a space that Jesus would have actually been in. Um, and Capernaum is one of those places. Um, I think there's one more. Maybe not. Is that it? That's it, right? Um, so I didn't include... I'm gonna put, I'll put on the website a picture of Ariel playing in the 4th the century synagogue. The 4th century synagogue, what they did with kids, as I mentioned this about kids in church, to have kids in the synagogue, what they did is they, the, the parents carved games into the bricks of the floor. And the wives and the kids would sit in the back and the kids would play these games. So we have a picture of Ariel at eight years old um, tracing these fir- these fourth century games, which is kind of a cool picture. But I didn't have anything to do with the sermon. So, of course, I just described it. I should have just brought it, but I wasn't going to. Anyway, um, so so Capernaum is a, a small village, the village of comfort. Um, it's called Kepher Nahum. It's not Nahum like in the books of the Bible. It's a different, but it's just the Hebrew word uh, for comfort. And this is where Jesus sets up for the rest of his his ministry. This is his this is his, his home base. He's going to travel around quite a bit. He's going to go to these different places, but he's focused in Capernaum. Um, now. Matthew has this weird way of telling things, so he will, he will present to you, okay, Jesus moved to Capernaum, and then we hear why Jesus moved to Capernaum, all right? So we get this line, all right, John had been arrested, so Jesus withdraws to Galilee. But why does he withdraw to Galilee? Well, he withdraws to Galilee because he meets a couple of people, or he meets a couple of people that live in Capernaum. Um, in verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to pause for a second. Um, Because I know, I've read enough about Peter, I just want to conjecture the reason that Matthew writes this this way. You notice that Matthew says, They were casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, we read that And wouldn't it make sense that the people throwing nets into the sea were fishermen? Do we really need that repetition? But I have a feeling that as Jesus walked up, he said, hey, what are you guys doing? And Peter, being Peter, went, we're throwing nets into the sea. Because we're fishermen. And Jesus kind of. For the first time in a a long relationship with Simon, Peter went, I figured that, Peter. Thank you so much for clarifying. Um, so, So they're casting nets into the sea, and Jesus meets them and starts to talk to them, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, again, for me, Peter, hearing that line, I will make you fishers of men, I can only imagine what went through Peter's head. As Peter tried to process what Jesus was talking about. Uh, anyway, they they start to walk with Jesus. And then verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers. We find out later, these are actually Peter, uh, Simon Peter and Andrew's cousins, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, Matthew doesn't record this, but I can only imagine Jesus walking. He gets Peter and Simon Peter and Andrew are walking with him. They're chit chatting, and Simon Peter goes, "Oh look, hey, uh, that's uh, James and and John, uh, sons of Zebedee, cousins, in a boat, also fishermen." <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Appreciate that. Um, so. He gathers them up. He brings these guys together. So why does Jesus go to Capernaum? Because now he's connected with a family that lives in Capernaum. Um, and so there's a place for him to live. Uh, they become, and we're, we're going to get to but they become the closest thing that Jesus has, um, the closest relationships he has during his earthly ministry are with these four men. Um, In verse 23, And then he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout Syria. Now that sounds weird, right? Syria, why do we bring Syria up? Jesus is actually in Capernaum. Jesus is closer to Damascus, the capital of Syria, than he is to Jerusalem. So his, his words are spreading through the Roman province of Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Now, we, we miss this sometimes. But remember, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they're men that fish with nets. So when you fish with nets, you catch all kinds of fish. All right, you catch healthy fish and sick fish. So as they're wandering around, Jesus is literally using his disciples to cast a net. And what's coming back to him are some healthy people and some sick people. And he's healing all of them. Um, those oppressed and he healed them. And verse 25, and great crowds followed him. From Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So this is a, a kind of a, a way of saying pretty much everywhere there are people coming um, to give us feedback. Can we mute the monitor? There we go, thank you. Um, so they're coming they're coming from all over the place, right? Uh, and they are they're following Jesus. There's forming great crowds. Now, the the disciples that Jesus calls, and we'll get to them being called disciples later, but but the word disciple in he in Greek, all right, which, which just means follower, in, in Aramaic or Hebrew, which was the language that Jesus spoke, um, they would be called the Talmudim, um, the, the learners, the students. And a rabbi would accumulate Talmudim. Um, and the more, the more disciples you had, the better a teacher you were. So if you only had two disciples, you know, they were kind of like Yelp ratings, right? So if you only had two disciples, nobody really wanted to listen to a rabbi with two disciples. But a rabbi that had 100 disciples or 500 disciples or 1,000 disciples, he becomes a great rabbi. Jesus very carefully will limit his Talmudim, his disciples, to 12 Um, Now, 12 because of the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 because it's four sets of three or three sets of four, depending how you want to divide it, 12 because it's six sets of two. It's a very easy to manage number. Um, And Jesus limits himself to those 12. Well, what was the purpose of a disciple? Have you ever wondered how Jesus could talk to thousands of people without microphones? Has it ever occurred to you to ask that question? How did Jesus talk to all these people without microphones? Well, this is how a rabbi would teach. We tend to think that rabbis would just kind of start making stuff up as they got to the moment. But the rabbi would be talking to his Talmudim, his disciples, and he would say, okay, when we get to this place, this is the part of my teaching that I'm going to cover. I'm going to cover the part about blessed are the poor in spirit, part all that stuff. I'm going to speak that part, so I'm going to say it to you, and I want you to say it back to me. And he would recite that part of that that message, and then they would recite it back to him as he was walking, as he was journeying, as they're. What else are you going to do? There's no music, iPods, or anything like that. So you could do something while you're walking. And they would do this. Then when Jesus, in chapter 5, the Bible says that Jesus goes up on a mountain, and he sits down, and he starts to teach. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you will find that it divides up into several very small pieces. And each one of those small pieces has a certain vibe and a rhythm and a pattern to it. What Jesus would do is his disciples would spread out amongst the crowd, so that they were, they were in earshot of Jesus and they could, they could replicate what Jesus said. And Jesus would say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall. right And he would stop and then all the disciples would repeat that to their crowd. Okay? So that's why he has disciples. Disciples are basically uh, um, living, breathing amplifiers for the teacher. They don't have freedom to teach whatever they want to teach. They teach what the rabbi, what Jesus is teaching. And so they would do that. They would spread out into the crowd and they would do that. And then when the time came for the sick or the the lame or the paralytics or whatever, they would come to the disciples and they would say, I have a person, you know, somebody would come to Andrew and say, I have this person whose leg, it doesn't work anymore. And Andrew would say, okay, um, so Jesus is finished teaching, they would check, and they would bring that one person up, and Jesus would heal that one person, they bring them back down. Jesus, this would have been a very orderly system that's going on. And Jesus would have taught these sermons over and over and over and over again. That's why the gospel writers are able to remember them. Okay, does that make sense? It makes sense how they can... Because how could they know word for word what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew probably heard Jesus preach this 500 times. And Jesus would have repeated it, and Matthew would have been required to repeat it back. Now, each one of them presents... When you read through the Gospels, you'll see that they pre, they present the sermons a little bit different, and everybody goes, well, see, that proves it's a contradiction, right? Matthew says that Jesus said... Jesus, For example, Matthew 5, Jesus preached on a mountain, but Mark says he preached it on a plain. So therefore... It's like, yeah, God forbid Jesus preach the same sermon twice. Right? Like, like, like you couldn't imagine they could do that. And, and that's kind of the thing that's happening. So when you read the Gospels and you see things that are similar, that doesn't necessarily mean they're reporting the same thing differently. They can just be reporting a different moment. All right? So this is their job. So disciple, disciples are trusted. What is the difference between a disciple and an apostle? A disciple... Follows an apostle is sent out. That's what apostle means, apostelos, sent out as an emissary. So a disciple's job, Jesus speaks, they repeat. An apostle's job, Jesus ascends, they go out and teach. So the twelve are start as disciples and become. Apostles. You say, how long should it take for somebody to be um, deeply immersed in the teachings of Jesus? Uh, probably about three years. Why do I think that? Because that's how long Jesus took to train the apostles. To shift them from being disciples to being apostles. All right? So... Jesus is, is surrounded, first of all, he's in Capernaum, he's got his circle, then he's got, he's got his disciples, he's going to expand that ultimately to 12, and he has this crowd following him around. And that sets up for next week. Um, but he, I want to also, I want to kind of end with just this question. We talked about some other things, but why Galilee? Why Capernaum? Why does Jesus choose to set up shop where he chooses to set up shop? He could teach from anywhere, right? He's born in Bethlehem. Why doesn't he use Bethlehem? He grew up in Nazareth. Why doesn't he use Nazareth? Jerusalem is a much more populated place. Why doesn't he teach in Jerusalem? There are a couple of reasons, right? You'll notice at the beginning it says he withdrew into Galilee in verse 12. So the first is... um, Jesus goes to Galilee, goes to Capernaum to be as far from the center of religious and political activity as he could get. Why would Jesus want to be such an outsider to get as far out of the center as he could? Because what happens when Jesus goes to Jerusalem? What do the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees immediately start trying to do? They start trying to figure out which school he belongs to. They immediately start asking him questions like a man was married to a woman and the man died and his brother married her and then he died. Then their brother married her and he died. And then his brother, um, I should be saying his, I said her a couple times, his brother. And she worked her way through seven brothers, at which point Jesus went, I suspect there's more going on here. Right. Um, But. He worked his way through seven brothers. Whose husband is is she um, when Messiah comes in heaven? Whose husband is she? Well, why is that question there? That question is there to figure out which school on the laws of marriage Jesus belonged to. Why do they ask him questions that that are so weird and and so convoluted? You know, they ask him about should we pay our taxes? Should we pay should we pay uh, the the our taxes to Rome when we're also paying the temple tax? Why do they ask them questions? Because they're trying to figure out where does he fit in the religious and political world. So Jesus intentionally goes out as far as he can. From that political and religious center. So he is already an outsider to the accepted way of doing things. There's very little danger of official interference when you live on the edge of the accepted culture. When you're an outlier. Um, But there's a, a, a second thing to that. It's a relatively empty place. Galilee even today is a relatively empty place. There's not a lot of cities there. It's a very quiet place. Um, there's a few kibbutzim, which are a kibbutz is kind of a like a community of people all come together and they do a business together. Um, the, the current business that a lot of them do is tourism. It's a relatively quiet place, lots of national parks, a lot of empty space, not a whole lot of archaeological excavations going on. But even in Jesus's day, it was a relatively low populated area. Um, and that meant that when crowds came, they could come together without disturbing life, without disturbing city life. So he could gather a crowd and he could teach that crowd without it drawing attention to the Romans and, and the Jews and all that stuff. Um, another reason that he chooses Galilee is that Galilee has an incredibly diverse population. People often miss this about Jesus. They think that Jesus went to the Jews And he was focused on only the Jews. But if you read carefully what Jesus is doing, he is always teaching to a mixed group. There are always people that are not Jews in Jesus' crowds. And he never once turns them away. He has Syrophoenicians and Roman legionaries and, and commanders and in, mingled in with Pharisees and Sadducees. His crowd is a mixed crowd, and that's something that only happens in Galilee. In Galilee, they're living alongside each other. They're getting along. There's no, there's no animosity. There's no arguing. It's Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles. It's a, it's a diverse population. We always have to be careful about reading our modern biases into the Scriptures. Um, we always do that. We have to be really, really careful, but I think the most important reason that Jesus goes to Capernaum and teaches in Galilee is this by being on the outside of everything. Jesus forced people to have to actively actively seek him out. See, Jesus is not a convenient King. He's not readily available to be summoned whenever we want to. Um, that we just say a magic prayer and Jesus pops up, poof. Jesus d- is not interested in my convenience. Jesus is sometimes to be found on the edges and the periphery. He he is not always to be found in the easiest ways, the 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 trickiest ways. The 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 gimmickiest ways. Jesus often makes it difficult to get to him. You go, well, why would he do that? To make you understand how important it is to get to him. Why didn't God reveal the law to Moses in Egypt? You ever think about that? Why would God overly complicate this entire situation? Dear God, we are we need to be rescued. We are being enslaved. And Jesus and God goes, All right, so here's the thing. We're gonna get a guy, he's gonna get born, Pharaoh's gonna try to kill people, gonna put him on a boat of reeds, he's gonna get picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, he's gonna raise him in Pharaoh's house, he's gonna rebel, he's gonna send into Midian, he's gonna be a shepherd in Midian for forty years, and he's gonna wind up a hill, I'm gonna make a bush burn. It's gonna be really weird. And then he's gonna get Jesus is gonna I'm gonna talk to him and he's gonna then I'm gonna say to him, All right, you go back, and then on the way I'm gonna have his wife circumcise his sons because he forgets to do it. And then he gets in there, and then he's gonna have his brother. His brother's gonna cause trouble. His sister's gonna cause trouble. Jesus, and then he's gonna, or Moses, gonna have to do all these ten plagues, and, and Pharaoh's not gonna let him go. And then we're gonna leave, and then we're gonna cross the Red Sea, and then people are gonna whine and complain about manna, and they're gonna whine and complain about water, and they're gonna whine and complain about meat. Then they're finally gonna get to a hill, and then I'm gonna leave them on the bottom of the hill. Moses is gonna go up into the hill. I'm gonna give him ten tablets. He's gonna come down with the tablets and the covenant, and everything's gonna be. Wouldn't it be easier just to do it in Egypt? Did you ever really think about that story? That is the most convoluted way to get people to meet you. Like, I mean, think about it. It's like, it's like oh, you know, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to go out on a date with this girl. She's required. There's 73 clues. Uh, I have a scavenger hunt. There's a treasure map. Um, then I have to answer riddles. And then when I'm done, go to a mountain and heaven and lightning and thunder. And then I get to meet her. I mean, it's, it seems complicated. Why does God do that? Because he's not a convenient king. It's not, why, does he use, why does he use an ancient book to speak to us? Why don't we just get new revelation every day? Why doesn't Jesus take out Super Bowl ad time? Wouldn't that be an easier way to preach the gospel, right? Why did Jesus decide that the best way to reach the world is to get a bunch of fallen human beings together, tell them to love one another and love their neighbor, and then go, go about it. Wouldn't it have been a better way? Jesus is not a convenient king. The discomfort of having to get out of ourselves, out of the comfortable religious environs, to go find him on the backside of nowhere, that discipline and desire is part of the journey. When we we try to get a conveniently packaged gospel... Wrapped up nice and neat, we can hand it right over, no problems. We almost always compromise the difficulty of what it means to follow Jesus. So if there is a big idea this morning, and there is, and I know there is because in my notes it says this is the big idea. (laughs) It is that we must get beyond our convenience to be in the presence of Christ. We sometimes have to get beyond what the crowd is doing to become disciples. We sometimes have to go to the edge of the known world to meet the one who will become the center of our world. Why Galilee? Because Jesus is not a convenient king. To follow him is very inconvenient, It requires a great deal of us. It requires discipline. It requires habits. It requires surrendering what we are comfortable with and what is convenient with us so that we might follow him.